1: Welcome to Freaky Friday, where we tell your odd but true stories. I'm Heather, and I'm here with our story sommelier Christie, who has curated a list all true crime today. Sometimes it is that's uh, there's a theme that emerges, and it's different types of topics with one central theme. And this one, the topic itself is the central theme. It is. I was
2: going through pulling them, and I decided I think it just makes more sense to have it. I'll be this tone instead of trying to mix in some fun stuff with some quite honestly some very heinous stories. So yeah. buckle up. There's uh we'll just give an overall content warning for this, I think. There's you know, just murder stuff. Whatever. Disturbing that, content. Yeah, disturbing content. I think that's a good way to put it. So if that's not for you, I would skip this episode there you go so um but uh as always thanks to everybody that has sent in their experiences and their stories it's always fascinating to me to hear stories from people that crossed paths with like a serial killer like in our first one here Mm -hmm. and i don't know it just those stick with me because we know so much now. So it's it's that weird thing of you find – you know so much about someone, but only afterwards. And then when you go – it's like going back in time kind of, and you get these stories of, oh, that's exactly what they were doing at that time. Just no one knew yet. And so it really – those always really creep me out.
1: Oh, yeah. There's an extra air of eeriness. Mm-hmm. And also from a – especially with this first topic – Somebody that has been somewhat exalted, sadly, in some circles mm-hmm. as, uh, you know, deity, like deified, put them on T-shirts and mugs and whatever, realizing that they were doing real harm at at this time. But also that they were mortals, like they're a mere mm-hmm. mortal and that they had run ins with people. And also, I think just wanting to share the story when it's something that you have. I think it's there's power in sharing a story, especially sure. about someone like this and hopefully taking power back away from yeah. them. I think that's why we do what we do, power and
2: sharing stories. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm Christy. I'm Heather. And let's get freaky. This first one, like we said, is um, all about those brushes with serial killers. This is from Felicia, and this is called A Pass with Ted Bundy. Hi, ladies. You are my favorite podcast, and I can't wait until you come to Utah again. I have ADD, and I've been scared of admitting it for years, and you two have truly helped me realize the normality of what I'm going through, and how normal it truly is, so thank you for that. I did get permission to share this story, so let's get into it. My husband works with a guy who came into contact with Ted Bundy. Here's what happened. This guy, we'll call him James, was hunting in American Fort Canyon in Utah with a friend that we'll call Jeff. On their way up, they saw a car parked off the side of the road. They didn't think anything of it because it wasn't out of the ordinary to have a car parked on the shoulder. It was, however, a yellow Volkswagen Bug. On their way up the trail, they passed a guy walking down with a shovel in hand. James and Jeff both knew this was odd, because what do you need a shovel for? They did, however, search around, but didn't see anything like fresh-dug dirt, so they brushed it off and continued on their day of hunting. The following day... At the same time the next morning, they took off again hunting, and there was the Volkswagen Beetle, parked on the side of the road again. They parked on the shoulder, too, and headed up to their hunting spot. On their way up, they saw him again, walking down the trail with a shovel. This time, they knew something was up, so they asked him if he was lost. He replied, no, I'm not, and kept walking. They knew something wasn't right and said they both got bad feelings from this guy. Fast forward to the discovery of Ted Bundy hitting national news. James and Jeff knew right away that's who they saw, and they knew right away that's what he was doing. Ted Bundy had a cave in American Fort Canyon that he would take women to, and that's exactly what happened here. I don't need to say what happened to these women in this cave, but these two guys reported their sightings to police and hopefully helped bring closure to some families for what this heinous man did. Thanks again for your podcast. It brings so much delight to my day. And shout out to my sister Brandy for introducing me to you two and taking me to your show at Wise Guys in Salt Lake City, Utah.
1: Wow. You talk about, I mean, you were right there. And it was real. It was happening in real time. Yes, in real time. And of course, you have no idea. It's just a guy with the Beatles. but you know
2: that you feel something is off, but you couldn't in your wildest imagination think that's what was going on.
1: Right. That's a uh, man. That's a uh, afterwards. Definitely a gut wrenching. Mm-hmm. Like, what were we so close to? I mean, thankfully, you know, they were safe and they were able to, like she said, point authorities in the right direction of, hey, there may be something out yeah. here. We saw him over here because he was obviously very good at hiding a lot of his crimes and especially the remains of his victims and robbing the families, not only of their family members and their lives, but then of any type of closure, burial, things that come mm-hmm. along with that. So at least the very least, you know, you do what you can and try to report it afterwards. But that's so eerie when you just see something out of the ordinary and go, that guy was kind of, I don't know, that guy was kind of weird. But obviously he's not doing something overt, covered in blood that you chase him down at the time. But of course, knowing knowing now what you knew, if you knew it then, you probably would have. Yeah. That's probably why they didn't see any fresh dug dirt, too, is because they were in a cave.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Very, very creepy, stomach churning. I hope that some families were able to find um, the remains of their loved ones and helped bring closure somehow. This next one is from Kristen, and this is called Found Out My Coworker Was a Murderer. Okay. This story is almost too hard to condense, but I'll do my best. I'm a chef. Everyone in hospitality is used to weird or creepy coworkers, but this one caught me by surprise. I got introduced to our new waitress. You know how you get a vibe? This woman seemed like one of those people where if you read a novel, she knows the author. If you ate an apple, her great-grandmother invented apple pie. Well, her first shift rolls up, and she completed the four hours, then took me aside to tell me she wouldn't be in for her next shift because she passed out earlier and had to go to hospital. We didn't see her for a week. For the next two months, she'd turn up for maybe two or three shifts a week because of some medical emergency. Some weeks, we wouldn't see her at all. Eventually, she quit, for several reasons. Her being afraid of me was one of those reasons. I mean, I'm intense when I'm working. When there are food orders for 200 people, I don't have time for chit-chat, but I always explain to people when they start that I'm not mean, just that I don't have time to be polite. Anywho, she quits. No biggie. She's barely done half her shifts. Skip forward two weeks. The bar manager can't wait to show me the news webpage showing said waitress was arrested for murder. The gruesome details? After fighting with her boyfriend while they were at the pub, she waited until they got home to their granny flat. A granny flat is a separate residence in the rear yard of a freestanding house in a suburban neighborhood. Not sure if you have them. This granny flat was on her boyfriend's parents' property. She then turned off the water supply to the property and waited for her boyfriend to go to sleep. She then set him on fire. He ran out of the flat on fire. His parents came out hearing the screams, but couldn't put out the fire because no water. He died two days later. We're freaking out. Everyone in our workplace was talking about it. My boss eventually admitted that when he employed her, the police had visited to say she had been under investigation by a task force for a year before she started with us. Of course, the pandemic happened, so it dragged on. So you need to know, she completed suicide weeks before going to trial. So she was working at my workplace after she killed her boyfriend, and she quit because she didn't like me. Anyway, if you've got this far, thank you for your time and massive apologies for reading what I typed on my phone.
1: That is next level. To then turn the water off yeah. is so premeditated Dude. and torturous. I mean, death by fire is extremely, oh. extremely painful. But on top of that, to then have his parents yeah. nearby. To watch he- your son die that yes. way. Fuck. No. How do you ever? You
2: never recover from something like that. That's, yeah, like you said, unreal premeditated to turn that off, wait till he's just, I mean, that's hours from the time you leave the pub until the time of the crime. Hours of you thinking about it and planning. And at some point you could have stopped.
1: Yes, and still went through with it, even all Mm -hmm. of that. And and again, not just him, which was horrible and heinous, but then to do that to his parents Mm -hmm. and leaving them helpless like that, just... And her parents. I mean, I think
2: we always forget that the perpetrators in this, their families are also victim. I mean, mm-hmm. to get a call that, well, your daughter killed her boyfriend in a horribly heinous way, and then to get a call months later that she's taken her own life. Like their lives are completely destroyed too. It's um, there was no additional information included as to what the motive was apart from a fight. I I don't know what else may have been going on there, but. To have come back to work after that happened, I don't even know
3: how
1: you would. How are you not in jail? That's uh, it's based on you. Not sure if you have them and some of the spellings. I'm gonna assume this is the UK. I think so. And so I'm not entirely sure how pre-trial. If you get, uh, if you can have release on your own recognizance, you know, pre-trial release works over there Mm -hmm. but if she had just only been charged but hadn't been or if they they didn't know it was her oh yeah i guess she said she was under investigation by a task force
2: for a year yeah before she even started that job so a year she's out walking the
1: streets free yeah that's what it sounds like gosh that's very disturbing especially like the working beside side side with somebody Mm -hmm. like that Knowing the capacity that they have for doing evil, that is definitely, will shake you to your core. And when
2: someone like that quits because they don't like you, one, I don't, that seems like (laughs) us. I would be like, I'm sorry, what? I was the reason they quit? But I don't think you are. She probably, I mean... Anyone that is capable of this is obviously not mentally stable. So maybe she saw something
1: in you that kind of spooked her. Like she, you know what I mean? Like, well, yeah, like if, um, if, Kristen's not taking her bullshit, yeah. you know, and is suspicious of her or anything mm-hmm. like that. It wouldn't be no wonder. Also, yeah, that's just life in the kitchen. If you're, don't bother the chef, is what I learned in every kitchen I worked at. They're busy. They, if they need you, they will say something to mm-hmm. you. But like, don't go talk to the chef. They're, they're. That's how I live my life. I'm not a chef, but no. uh, same, same guidelines. Don't talk, to <laughs> <laughs> just don't talk to her. She's
2: busy. Don't just leave her alone. <laughs> um. But well, yes. Real. Thank yes, you, Kristen. So it may just
1: be. It is It is just good kitchen etiquette, just like not talking to the chef, but m- maybe this person had a sense of entitlement, it sounds like, mm-hmm. a sense of, you know, you should talk to me and just felt like she was under suspicion from you, in which case, you know, good, please leave our kitchen. We don't right. want you here. Well, this next one is from Anonymous,
2: and they write in with the subject line, murder in a small town. I grew up in a very small town where everybody knew everybody. I went to school with a guy from elementary school through high school. I wouldn't say we were good friends, but very friendly acquaintances. We rode the same bus all growing up and attended the same parties. In other words, we hung out in group settings. He was so nice and funny and pretty popular, an all-American type. Fast forward 15 years. I haven't seen him since he graduated, but I heard he was the same person he was in high school. In April of 2020, his three-year-old daughter was found walking down the side of a road and was picked up by a passing car. The police were called, and they went on to the residence. When they looked in the windows of the home, they saw another baby crawling around the house covered in blood, and they entered the home. This guy and his wife had both been fatally shot, and a gun was found nearby. Their three kids were physically unharmed, but had been in the home when it all went down. There was a lot of coverage in the local papers when it first happened, but then everything went silent. The assumption around town is that it was a murder-suicide, but as far as I can find, their manner of death has never changed from under investigation. We are all shocked and confused. As a true crime enthusiast, it is hard for me to not have answers about what happened, but in a town like that, I don't expect any. Everyone knew him and generally liked him and his family. So I think it's just going to be something that no one talks about. And Anon sent a link to what happened. This is a very um, – this reminds me of Dexter, and I hope that for these children, none of them turn out like Dexter. But oh, Is that how – is like his origin story? His origin story is, yeah, he was – His mother was killed in front of him, and he was found in a pool of her blood by authorities. And I think he was around three, two or three when it happened. But even that kind of trauma just like stays in you, and it can change you on a molecular level. So even though these kids might be babies, that still can really destroy you. And even if you have no memory of it, you're going to learn about it. And you are growing up without parents. So it's it's horribly sad. I'm very happy that all three of the children weren't um, physically harmed. And then that three-year-old, luckily, someone that wanted to help was the one that picked them up. So reading this article, it seems like two of the children were twins. And a firearm was found near the bodies. But as far as an actual answer, there still isn't one. Yeah, it says that they're still under investigation. Like Anon says in these types of cases, the department may have just said, you know what, we probably know what this is. We're not going to launch a full-blown investigation, and we don't want to do anything to further hurt this family. I would say not having answers hurts everyone. So, you know, still investigate even if you think you know what's going on. And to give a, a solid answer so the families can also know what that is.
1: Well, and absolutely, and especially if there's hope. I mean, you're right. Perhaps they have determined from the scene that there's not an ongoing danger to the community. The call to action in the article is just it's Delta County, Colorado, just asking, you know, letting the community know their mental health resources if they you know, if they need help with coping with the grief of what happened.
2: Yes. And it said the children were living with relatives. So that is um, that's devastating. And again, When you find out that someone that you knew and was always seemed like a a good person and then you find out something like this happened, it's it's shocking to think back on the memories you have with them and, uh, you know, just that eerie feeling we talk about. There's no mention of if it was a murder-suicide, who was the perpetrator and who was the victim, so... It's hard to say um, if her friend was the one that that did it or was on the receiving end. But either way, horrifying.
1: It also says, yeah, another article said that they were found with both had trauma to the head and a firearm was located close proximity to their body. So that's why maybe that's why the investigation is ongoing. Mm. Well, if that's yeah, I mean, get some answers. Yeah, definitely. Those three kids are left without parents for sure. Hopefully, uh, if somebody knows something, they will send it in. hmm Well, this next one is from Michelle, and the subject line is, Trust no one, like ever. Seriously, you just never know who you're dealing with. Hey, ladies. Love y'all and always look forward to Freaky Fridays. They always make me think of an old restaurant I used to work at that we believe is lightly haunted. I always think about the time a fake cucumber yeeted itself out of a bowl that it had been sitting in for years— or the time something decided to play ultimate frisbee across the restaurant with an iced tea pitcher lid. These are the only experiences I had there personally, but others have seen shadows passing through the cameras and heard banging on the door when no one is there. The restaurant has been alive for at least 60 years, and a previous owner, Charlie, passed from cancer in 2007. So we all just kind of think it's Charlie romping around, causing the occasional mild ruckus. Hi, Charlie. Please stop throwing cucumbers at me. Thanks. But, when thinking about these paranormal experiences, it reminded me that nothing is scarier than the living monsters that walk among us. As the longest-standing restaurant in the city, and a popular hole-in-the-wall type diner, we had many regulars, and many of them were older adults. For about a year, we had the sweetest couple join us almost every morning. William, a 60-ish-year-old, saucy, flamboyant man, and his mother, Sweet Marion. They would come for two bowls of cream of wheat with blueberries and two coffees, Marion's always with a straw. Now, William was funny and charismatic, and we all enjoyed his wit and somewhat aggressive charm. There's a lot of sweet with his sauce, but every once in a while, we would catch a glimpse of a nasty attitude, but we all just tacked it down to a bad day. Marion didn't say much, but when she did speak, it always seemed profound. She was encouraging, kind, and always had a smile on her face. We adored her. One day, I walked into work to some hot gossip at the coffee pot. My friend asked if I had heard the news about Will and Marion. Honestly, as Marion was quite a bit older, I thought maybe she had passed. I was not ready for the story that followed After a year of Will and Mom coming in, we learned that Marion was not William's mother at all. They had met two years prior at a McDonald's, where, shortly after, he became her caretaker. All over the local news was the story of a man who pushed a 93-year-old woman out of the house of the woman he was caring for. Margaret Wood, Marion's best friend, was caught on neighborhood surveillance being forcefully thrown out of Marion's home by William. Later, there is footage of him washing up the blood from the incident. So cringe. Margaret made it home and to the hospital, but succumbed to her injuries 11 weeks later. She had a fractured skull, broken nose, and hemorrhaging. Margaret's passing turned this abuse case into a murder case. Marion, blessed her sweet soul, passed away two months after the altercation. She passed away before William's trial, but she recorded her testimony in hospice prior to her passing. She passed away very shortly after recording her testimony. All of this broke our hearts, but especially because we believed she used the last bit of energy she had to record that testimony for her best friend before finding her peace and passing on. The asshole, gratefully, was sentenced to 25 to life, but I hope he rots in there for what he did to Marion and Margaret. On top of the physical abuse, there was money laundering, embezzlement, and plenty of other nasty behaviors but it's minimal in comparison to essentially taking two lives. This happened back in around 2016, but I still think of them every now and then. Bless your kind, sweet soul, Marion. She, Margaret, and their family and friends did not deserve what this monster did. So that's my in-a-nutshell version of why you can't trust anyone ever. You can talk to someone every day for years and not know what's going on behind their closed doors. Trust no one. Stay safe and don't talk to anyone at McDonald's. Here are a couple of links to news articles about the case. Well, this is devastatingly sad, but sadly parallels a lot of cases I saw at Legal Aid. Mm-hmm. There was especially one where it was they found out in advance of any murder or death, but that a older but not quite as old as the victim man had become the caretaker of a woman, and we're trying to, they were in the, oh, they just come in for a bowl of cream of wheat, but something seems a little off phase with some friends being kind of concerned about what was going on because they just lived in these condos and police said, oh, the neighbor said that, you know, he's friendly to everybody. He's great. He picks up the newspaper. You know, it's where you, it's hiding in plain sight, mm-hmm. right? Well, and you go above and beyond
2: to be nice and cordial and because people won't suspect you, but. What you're really doing is scamming these older adults and collecting, I don't know, their Medicare checks or or whatever, also abusing them. They're vulnerable. They can't defend themselves. To throw a 93-year-old woman out of a house, what the
1: fuck? Unforgivable. Absolutely. Can Um, you
2: imagine? Imagine being thrown out of the house at The age we are now, 93. I mean, I'm surprised, honestly, that she was able to live 11 weeks.
1: Yeah. uh, I mean, that's a a testament to the human body to be able Mm -hmm. to uh, try to hold on as much as you can. And yeah, somebody that has the audacity to do that. Mm -mm. And and also with little to I mean, with no remorse, it seems no. And to be in there taking money, you know, embezzling the money from her. And all, I mean, essentially, you see where they move in like a hermit crab and they're mm-hmm. like waiting for the older adult to die so they can, like you said, hide their body and maybe continue to collect pension checks or even before that, have them change their will, have them gift items, things like that. Yeah. So it's very sad, but um, it doesn't take away the harm that they did, but at least he stopped from doing it to anyone else. Well, and bless Marion for. Literally, on her deathbed,
2: her last gift was you know helping her friend, so who it makes me think that Margaret was on to it and challenged him that night or something, and he got violent with her and but
1: like the only the only thing out of this is he's off the streets. He was found guilty of second degree murder in uh November of twenty eighteen so At least he was convicted. He was only 68, though, which when you think about it, if he was doing that to her, Mm -hmm. if he hadn't got caught on to the next one, on to the next one. I mean, that's, you know, a couple, you know, 15, 20 more years where you could go Mm -hmm. around and latch yourself on to these vulnerable people. And who's to say it didn't happen before.
2: True. That's true. My grandparents always um, their hangout spot in the morning where they'd go meet all their friends for coffee was Dairy Queen. And I think that's common for a lot of older adults to kind of, you know, go to a McDonald's or a diner and, and meet. And I hate the thought of this guy just kind of preying on people that are there and seeing how he can weasel his way in.
1: Yeah, and and you sit down and go, "Oh, do you need a friend? Oh, mm-hmm. let me help you with that." It always, and that's what we always saw as it would start. Very innocuously, it would be a neighbor, a friend, somebody from church, somebody from a, you know, a grief group, like Mm -hmm. a group therapy session or whatever. And they, at first, it seems great. You have somebody to drive you around, buy your groceries, but it's very sad when they, when it ends this way. It does say that he received the maximum sentence for charges. So he will spend 15 years in jail. So. It doesn't bring them back, but it definitely, uh, like you said, it's the last great gift Marion could give Mm -hmm. to her best friend who, like you said, likely was there because she smelled something wrong. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much, Michelle, for sharing that story with us. The next one we have is from Alexandra, and the subject line is, My best friend took the virginity of a murderer whom I also briefly dated. Hi, Christy and Heather. I grew up in a small town called Salida, Colorado. Beautiful place, but man, some weird shit going on there. For a brief moment in high school, I sort of dated this guy named Daniel. He is in prison now, so I'm not worried about leaking his name. I just won't say his last name for the sake of his family. You know in high school how you were a thing with someone before you actually dated? Well, that's where we were. He seemed like a very nice guy, but he was just a little extra at times. He was a senior and I was a sophomore. One day he interrupted my class and asked if he could see me in the hallway and brought me Starbucks and flowers at like 10 a.m. Mind you, we had only been a thing for like three days. It sounds sweet and at the time it was, but just wait. A couple days later without consulting me, I see Daniel Blank is in a relationship with Alexandra Cover on Facebook, but he never even asked me to be his girlfriend. I thought it was super weird. We had barely been talking for a week, and this guy was already giving me grade A clinger vibes. So I had to confront him about the Facebook status and tell him I didn't want to see him anymore. This guy flipped. He said he poured his heart out to me, and I broke it, and he was so hurt, and blah, blah, blah. We literally hung out like twice, and I don't even think we kissed. So after that, I stayed far, far away from him. I cannot stand clingy people, and his reaction was so over the top, I said, okay, what a weird dude, goodbye. Fast forward like a year and a half or two later. I want to say the summer of my junior year, but it could be senior, I don't remember. My best friend Paige and I are doing typical Salida high school kid stuff, which consists of working in the restaurant and then going out and drinking most nights. Well, Paige decides that she wants to start hanging out with this boy, Daniel, I was like, dang, remember a year or two ago when he went all crazy on me for not being his girlfriend after like seven days? She was like, yeah, whatever. He can get us booze and I don't intend to do anything serious with him. I'm like, okay, cool. Let's go. So we're hanging out with Daniel for like a month or so during the summer and he and Paige are being all flirty, but it's a good time. Nothing weird between us. We were friendly and it's fun. The title of my story tells you what happens next. Paige decides to start sleeping with him. And as far as I know, she is the only person who ever did so and ever will. We are all very nonchalant about it and it's nothing serious. One night, Paige and I were working at our restaurant, the Boathouse Cantina. She comes up to me all frantically and is like, dude, Daniel's friend was murdered last night. We'll call him Bill because I don't remember his name. It's in the middle of this huge festival that happens in Salida every year called Fibark, and we're at one of our busiest nights. But she is like, I have to get a hold of him. I can't get a hold of him. That was his friend. Poor Daniel. I have to find him. We go out after work, probably drinking somewhere to talk about how crazy this is, but we can't find Daniel. No sign of Daniel for about a week after this. Then one day I was driving in my car and hear that he was arrested in Arizona for the murder of Bill. I'm like, what the hell? I call Paige and sure enough, Daniel was the guy who murdered his friend, Bill. It turns out Bill was also Daniel's boss and he was notorious for being late on giving his employees their paychecks. Story is Bill owed Daniel like $600 and Daniel just couldn't take it. So on Friday night during Fibark, Daniel got really drunk and decided he was going to go hide in Bill's house behind the front door and wait for him to get home. As Bill walked in his front door late that night, probably very drunk, Daniel proceeded to stab him in the back, from what I remember, over 20 times. Bill was found the next day mutilated in his home, over $600. We were literally hanging out with this guy nights before he decided to take Bill's life. Daniel's father was also our psychology teacher at Salida High School, and he was a great dude. Paige and I still talk about how good of a teacher he was to this day. My boyfriend also used to play basketball with Daniel years ago. Thank you for taking the time to read my story. Even if it doesn't make to the show, I hope you enjoyed it. So much love to you both. Alexandra. I uh, think this is a good testimony to
2: that gut feeling again. You knew from the beginning this guy had a lot of red flags. It's something, something ain't right. And in the long run, you were correct about feeling like... um you needed to part ways with this guy. I'm glad that nothing happened to Alexandra or her friend when they were hanging out with him that summer. It sucks that um, the person we're calling Bill lost their life over something as stupid as 600 bucks.
1: It's yeah, something like that where it's so senseless. And also, it it is scary to know that this Daniel person has the capacity to do the ultimate un you can it's you can never undo it right it's a permanent fix to a temporary problem of six hundred dollars if he was willing to do that to somebody that was he was very close with that is it's a very scary thing to have been with him and think well what if he thought you slighted mm-hmm. him you know you should have paid me for beer or you should you know you never know what that is gonna be that thing that sets them off that's it's very disturbing and it sounds like he is behind bars where he he should be clearly he was
2: like she said, a grade A clinger. So you do something that he thinks, you know, you go out with another guy or something, who knows? It's especially sad for his dad, who was a psychology teacher. I'm sure is, you're in that field and you're like, how did I not see this? How could I not have helped my my son? Am I the only person that gets very creeped out and uncomfortable by – I'm going to use quotes, romantic gestures, like what he did, even if it's like you're in a relationship for a while, if anyone in high school had done that, I would have been, I would have just thought it was so cringe, but I'm also not a very romantic person. So maybe that's me.
1: I think if it's you had already been dating and established dating, like I was thinking my, you know, in my ADHD brain flips through a bunch of different when you were just saying that I was like who did I know in high school that that would have been like fine and there were about three kind of it couples that were they were always together and it was like well known that they were together and it would and they were like the popular kids so I feel like if one of them had done something like that for the girl. Or we also had where you had roses you could buy for Valentine's Day or raise money for I don't like, mean for council. other people. I mean for myself. Oh, yeah. I don't like romantic gestures. You don't want to be spotlighted, which is fine.
2: Yeah. Um, I think that's for sure. I don't want to be. It's not the, spotlighted. <laughs> yeah. I just don't. I get really uncomfortable and weird if there's. I remember in high school that this guy that. We did not date, but, like, we talked for, like, a hot minute, and we were on the phone one night, and he was like, I want to sing you a song I wrote. And then he, like, played a song on his guitar, and I am burning with shame of secondhand embarrassment just thinking about it decades later now. So that kind of stuff, or, like, if – In middle school, you had, you know, like, a boyfriend, but not really. And on Valentine's Day, they would, like, bring you little things. I wanted to crawl under a desk and die. Like, I just don't like that kind of stuff.
1: If it's somebody that I am in a consensual romantic relationship, I love it. Okay. I'm the opposite. I think – I mean,
2: if Tommy brought me – when Tommy brings me flowers, that's different. He's my husband. But I just – if if it as an adult in long term relationships it's one thing but like dating people casually that always made me feel very uncomfortable
1: for me the line is we should be very clearly like dating together otherwise i think it's presumptuous i knew a girl in law school who was dating a guy maybe had been on 3 dates and i can't recall how he knew where she lived but made she had said that i guess she was studying for finals or mentioned that she had to stay up late or something and he made this whole basket for her that had like chocolate covered espresso beans starbucks cans of coffee like energy stuff trail mix and was like hope this helps you with your studying but it was just a lot Mm -hmm. in the basket and then it was on her porch and Mm -mm. then i want to say he called he maybe texted her and was like, go look on your porch, mm-hmm. which kill me. Absolutely. No, don't do that. So that after was three dates after just three had days. Had he been so she, over to her house? No, they hadn't slept together, hadn't been to her oh, house. Oh, then
2: that's especially weird because he had to look up where you lived.
1: And I can't recall if maybe she had said, oh, I like offhandedly. Oh, I live right there. I live in those apartments because she lived really close to campus. So it wouldn't have been super hard, but it would have been you would have had to you look had to go and, out of your way a bit. And he did not live, he was not a colleague of ours. Like, he wasn't a classmate of ours. So he, they had met on a dating app or whatever. Did they so, go out again? No, hell no. <laughs> she broke it off after that? Yes. She was like, thanks for the snacks, peace. She just said, yeah, I think, I don't remember how exactly she did it. But one time I said, hey, whatever happened to that guy? And she said, well, I felt like it was a boundary of mine that it was, cr- mm-hmm. like, don't come to my house unannounced. I felt really uncomfortable. And, which is fair. We all have yes, our boundaries. For sure. And, yeah. Yeah, so that's why if it's you're dating someone, they've already been to your house, they want to, like, send you something, but, yeah, showing up. After three days of talking to someone in high school, if they had called
2: me out of class to give me flowers and coffee, I would have um, resigned from school. Like, you I told could not teacher. have come back. I would have been so embarrassed that I could, would have had to, like, move districts. I just yeah, can't I deal with that stuff. He has got a lack of judgment and lack of boundaries and, yeah. I remember in high school, a friend of mine had gone on a date, I think was just like once or twice. The guy didn't go to our school. In fact, he may have been in college. And he sent her flowers
1: to the school. Like they came to the to the office at school. And they came and got her out of class. That is mortifying. Because you have to get called out of your class. And then everyone's like, why did you get called out of your class? I remember our theater teacher
2: saying getting really like upset because she i think she got the flowers right before theater which was the last period of the day so she came in and our theater teacher was like he is stalking you this happened to me once like and she was like so worried and everyone else because we're teenagers are like whatever this is romantic and fun i probably was like kill me i hate it (laughs) but uh, i don't know if anything ever came of it but it was interesting to look back on that now and think Oh, an adult realized like this isn't right.
1: No, I think you're right. If especially a teacher with a, a female teacher with foresight, and it's happened to her before, and she has a concern and voicing that concern, I think that's not overstepping. A teacher just saying, maybe, do you feel uncomfortable about this? Do you, you know? Mm-hmm. I think that's an important flag to raise as a fellow person who's on the receiving end of attention that maybe is unwanted or in too intense more Mm -hmm. intense than is invited too intense that's a good way to put it i don't like intense um
2: romantic attention it makes me uncomfortable i'm just not a romantic person you guys and that's That's okay okay. i'm fine with it i don't make apologies about it it's not my thing
1: Well, thank you, Alexandra, for sharing that with us. Next up is from Megan, and its subject line is stalked by a murderer. Hey there, I've been loving Freaky Friday and decided to share my own brush with true crime. I grew up in the south suburbs of Minneapolis, Minnesota. When I was in my early and mid-20s, so about 10 years ago, I had a group of friends that hung out frequently. We went to the bar, spent summers on the boat, and had house parties regularly. We had a core group of people and then a bunch of folks who just came around when they could. One of my friend's neighbors would occasionally come around. He was younger than us, just freshly 18 and awkward, but they'd known him a while and we wanted to help him feel included when we could. He was quiet, but soon, after he started coming by more regularly, he went from a little awkward to odd to scary. One night at a fire, we heard movement and noises around the yard. It sounded like someone was throwing things occasionally. We found out after the guys went searching and found this kid. He had been watching us, laying on the ground, hiding in bushes and behind trees, moving around and making noises on purpose. He'd apparently done this before. This was just the first time we'd caught him. The creepiest night, though. After a party, we'd all gone to bed and thought he'd left with everyone else. My friend, who I'll call Chris, and I were laying on the futon in the basement, talking in the dark when all of a sudden, this kid walked down the stairs. Without a word, he walked past us, sat down in a recliner across the room, facing us, and just sat and stared at us. Chris said something to him, but he didn't answer. I was on the outside of the futon. Chris was against the wall. He quietly told me to switch spots with them, so he was on the outside. We both tried to pretend to fall asleep and just wondered what was going on. There was enough light coming in that we could see that he was looking at us, and he sat there for hours. I eventually fell asleep out of exhaustion, and he was still there, but he was gone when I woke up a few hours later. We were all a bit freaked out and didn't really invite him around as much anymore, but were nice if he happened to stop by. We just all got the creeps after those few incidents. Not long after these incidents, in 2014, he was in the news, One night, he shot his father while he was asleep. From what I know, they had a strained relationship, and he apparently told investigators that he just snapped. I feel bad for the entire family and have sympathy for the difficult relationships he seemed to have with his parents. But after his behavior, it's scary to think about what might have happened. I've included a link to the original article, as well as one from 2020 when he tried to appeal his life sentence for both of you to read if you're interested. But I thought it would be better to leave real names and exact locations out. Thanks so much for the hours of true crime and paranormal entertainment. I love the legal insight you're able to offer. I hope to be able to catch a live show sometime soon. Stay creepy, Megan. While I'm reading this
2: article and it appears that – he shot his father in the head while his father was sleeping and then called 911 to say his father had been killed. The uh, detective showed up, looked around, and eventually said, Okay, well, we're going to find out what happened here. You should just tell the truth. And he said, The truth is that it was me. And his, um, parents were divorced. He had had moved back in with his dad after getting into an argument with his mom and he said his dad blamed his mom for the divorce even though he said his dad left the mom. So it sounds like there was a lot of pent-up resentment and anger. He also said his dad had some very strict religious views and was trying to impose those on him since he had moved back in. But he said when he He came downstairs to get something to eat, saw his dad was asleep on the living room floor, and he said, I don't know what came over me, but I went to the gun cabinet, got a shotgun and some bullets, and did what he did. Um, Keep your gun cabinets locked. That's one thing. But it's, you know, very... It's very chilling to think that you could just look at your parent that's sleeping there and go and get a gun and go and do that and then go outside, call 911 and wait in your dad's truck until the cops show up.
1: But And he was sentenced to life imprisonment and then they tried to appeal his sentence because mm-hmm. they said they weren't allowed to utilized mitigating factors when determining sentencing not weren't allowed but failed to consider mitigating factors which was that he was developmentally delayed and he was the victim of psychological abuse mm-hmm. which could have gone to maybe explain some of his well, explain his behavior his reaction and that the argument was that that violates the constitution's eighth amendment protection against cruel and unusual punishment but the Minnesota Supreme Court upheld the sentence and said that's something for the legislature to determine. Like that should be if if that should be considered, it should be part of the sentencing laws and guidelines, not for the Supreme Court, the Minnesota Supreme Court, to legislate from the bench. Essentially, the dissent said this is a really harsh case, and it reflects an overly rigid, inflexible view of the Supreme Court's Eighth, Eighth Amendment jurisprudence, and it an inconsistent application for standards of defining adulthood because he was 18. Mm-hmm. But if he's developmentally younger than 18, then have you just sentenced a juvenile to life in prison when you wouldn't normally do that if they were on paper 18, you know, mm-hmm. taking into consideration their development. So, so are definitely- they saying that the fat, the psychological
2: abuse that perhaps that's what he's referring to with like the strict religious stuff. And it, they're saying that should not be taken into account when saying this, contributed to why he killed his dad and therefore maybe he gets a lesser
1: sentence? They're saying that, yeah, he was not... That that was not considered yeah. in lessening his sentence. Yes. as okay. Nor was his age. And I believe they said the opinion said this is an extremely tragic case. He was only one week beyond his 18th birthday. And it and, also happened on
2: his dad's birthday.
1: Yeah. And the record is replete with evidence of his cognitive and social delays and years of psychological and emotional abuse. So there's a rule in Minnesota that you can mitigate based on age and these other factors with juveniles under the age of 18 And so they wanted to apply this rule to him, although he was 18. He was barely 18 and also had these other the developmental delays. But they're saying that's something for the legislature to say this can be applied beyond just the what the rule currently says, which Hmm. is very important. Lawmaking is very important for for that reason, because you don't you know, like I said, we see some result that we say, well, this is harsh, an overly harsh application of this. Do we as a society want to see that type of punishment or more rehabilitative punishment and that takes into account how somebody got to where they are? Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you, everyone that sent these in. I know that they
2: were not fun ones, I'm sure, to recall and to write about. But like we said up top, there's power in sharing stories. And we get so many submissions that start off with, This other person's Freaky Friday story made me think of this. So, so many times, like, we've kind of repressed memories. We get a lot of those. I totally forgot this happened until I heard such and such talk about it. So there is power in everybody sharing these. And, you know, even if it's just, you know, that you're not the only one that went through something like that, I think that that can be healing and important. I totally agree. Thank you all for sharing. Mm -hmm. If you have an odd but true story, maybe you've encountered Bigfoot, you've seen a UFO, you had a brush for true crime, or you felt the presence of an otherworldly being, send them in at SinisterHood.com slash Freaky Friday.
1: As a thank you, you'll also get some sweet perks like ad-free episodes, a Sinisterhood sticker, membership to our exclusive Patreon Facebook group for those in the rolling the airwaves and getting into it tier, a special shout out on the show, a monthly bonus mini-show. This month, we're going to discuss a TikTok controversy that has gotten both of us staying up real late watching some very bizarre videos that we will absolutely share with you. And we also have patron-exclusive video and audio content, including Am I the Asshole Relationship Advice, Judge Christie, Dear Sinister, True Crime Headlines, and more. You also have the fun
2: perk of access to our Discord server where you can connect with other fans in real time and discuss the latest in true crime, share personal ghost stories, or just post adorable pictures of your pets. We hop on occasionally and we host monthly Q&As on Crowdcast where you can ask us all your burning questions. This month, our Q&A is the 30th and then
1: our live stream is the 31st, both at 8 p.m. Central Time. We also created two new Discord server or Discord channels Based on our last Q and A, we were talking about really, really good horror movies, and also so bad they're good horror movies. Mm-hmm. So there's been some submissions already. One of which was mine. I submitted The Night House. Liked it or su- didn't like it? That it was very scary. I found it very disturbing. Which one was The Night House? Where it's on HBO Max, and she's got the um, her husband was a uh, planning the house, like the architect of their house, and she was a teacher, and he and she feels like oh. the ghost of him. Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I've seen it. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. For patrons not in the U.S., you have the option to pay in pounds or euros, saving you the cost of conversion fee. Annual memberships for all tiers are also now available. Those that select this option will be rewarded with a free month of membership. For more details on all of this and specific member tiers, visit SinisterHood.com and click Patreon on the top banner so many of you have been tagging us in pictures of you sporting your sweet Sinisterhood merch. Keep those pictures coming. If you want to get some cool Sinisterhood swag like t-shirts, mugs, totes, and even clothes for your kiddos, visit Sinisterhood.com click on shop in the top banner. The best thing you can do to help us grow is like, review, and follow on Apple Podcasts,
2: Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also click the three dots at the top right-hand corner and share any episode with your friends. Or visit Sinisterhood.com
1: playlist and share any of our topic based playlist. And if you try to go to it and it didn't come up, it's playlists with an S. Maybe Got I'll make have a, that S in there.
2: Yeah, add the S. <laughs> and please tell the friend who you think would like us to check us out. It means so much to us and really helps podcasts like us get more exposure.
1: You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Sinisterhood Pod. like us on Facebook at Sinisterhood. We're also on TikTok, YouTube. Christy, where are you at? I'm on Instagram at Christy M. Wallace and TikTok and Twitter at Christy or GTFO. Heather? I'm on Twitter at MCK versus the world, and then I'm TikTok and Instagram at Heather versus the world. As always, the devil rules the airwaves. Keep it creepy. <laughs>
4: that's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino stuff.